to be with you guys today. We are starting a new message series called Divine. Divine is about, you can imagine, God, right? So we're talking about God for the next five weeks, who God is, which is a really big question to try to address in five weeks. Literally, people have devoted whole lifetimes to trying to write and think about who God is. But here at Foundry, with the smartest people in the world gathered in one room, we can do it in five weeks. I believe it. I believe it. So so we're going to make this happen across the next five weeks. It's going to be really good, and I can't wait to do it. And here's the reason why. Because everything we do as Christians, everything we do as followers of Jesus should be directed towards God. So even if you're loving other people, it's about God. We, we, we live to serve and honor God. In fact, what we will be doing for eternity is worshiping God and giving him honor and glory. And so we need to figure out who God is so we can do that well. Because who you worship is what you become like. And so we got to be worshiping God as he really is. As we prepare to go further in this message today, can we get the house lights up just a little bit so people can use their Bibles? People in the back, I'm talking to you in the sound booth. Can we get the lights up a little bit uh, so people can use their Bibles as we go on today? Uh, I want to start off today uh, by talking about who God is really like at his core. Now, a lot of us are really good at talking about people in our lives that we care deeply about. Uh, For instance, if you have a romantic partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, you're probably really good. Wow, there was light. (laughs) Just suddenly I could see all your faces. Kind of, kind of want. Yeah, can we take those lights down a little bit more? I'm just kidding. No, less, less of their faces, please. No, this is great, right here. Perfect. I might look around. Just look at everybody around you. Just, just see you're with, you're with people now. It's not just a dark void around you. They're actually individuals. If, if you have someone in your life that you care deeply about, you are able to talk at length and at depth about that person. Every time I have a guy in my life who gets a girlfriend, I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Not because I got a girlfriend. That's like a lucky thing with the guys I know. That's a good thing. We celebrate that. But, but I got to put up with hearing about this girl nonstop for a while and how great she is. And like, if, especially if it's somebody I know, I'm like, I know they're not all that. Like, I'm sure they're great, but they're not all that. You know, they're just going on and on about them. You ever had friends like this? You got to hear about that. And so we're really good at talking about people we are falling in love with. We're also really good about talking about our best friends, especially the ones you go back with a long way. You go way back with, and you've done a lot of stuff with. Like, you can talk about them forever. The guy you went through middle school with that you still know, you've got stories on that guy. If he ever runs for president, you can take him down, right? Because you know, you get all the dirt. You know, you got the receipts. You know where the bodies are buried. You know where everything is. And so you can talk at length about what that person's like. You know, you know who we're best at talking about? The people, the people we love the most? Ourselves. You're like, well, let me tell you about myself. I'm an Enneagram 4, which means I'm unique, just like all the Enneagram 4s. I'm totally unique. Or you're like, oh, oh, Myers-Briggs, I'm an ISFP. I'm the creator. Maybe. I don't know ISFP. Some of you are like, no, I am ISFP. We're the constructor. I don't care what you are. I'm just saying, like, we, we know how to describe ourselves. We create whole, whole personality tests just so we can brag about who we are. Some of us try to define ourselves by, I don't know, like by random stuff. Maybe your identity is summed up in Mississippi State baseball. Let me try that again. Maybe your identity is summed up in Mississippi State baseball. Okay. 
We got a few alumni here. That's good. So maybe your identity is but we can talk about ourselves, what we care about, what we're passionate about, what we're like, what frustrates us, the people who annoy us, what we want to do in life, what we're like under stress, what we're like when we're at our best, what our hopes are, who we were yesterday, who we're going to be tomorrow. We can talk about ourselves. Why? Because we care a lot about ourselves. Here's what I want to challenge us to do. I want us to begin to develop language and begin to develop mental constructs and the ability to think and understand who God is so we can go to other people and tell them who God really is. So we can, in in our lives, actually live out and live in the reality of who God really is, not who we wish he were. So that when we go to worship God and pray to him, we're not going to some fairy in the sky. We're not going to some big being of love that we know nothing else about. We're going to the God revealed in Jesus, the God of the Bible. That's what we're going to be doing. And here's the number one thing the Bible makes clear about who God is. This is, this is the deep reality of who God is. In fact, if you were going to say who is God at his core, this is it. Apart from anything else, apart from anything else God has created, anything else he's done to redeem us, at his very core, God is three in one. And guys, if you've been around the church, you know this, right? We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But, but, but think about this, because often we understand God in terms of how he relates to creation. God is our redeemer. He's our creator. He's our savior. He's the one who loves us. You see how much of this is directed towards us? But if you stripped all of us away, if you never existed, if creation never existed, who is God at his very core? God is three in one. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. Somebody say one God. God. Somebody say three persons. Now, I would say persons, that's weird, because what that makes me think right off the bat is like, okay, there's one God, but there's three dudes or dudettes sitting around, three persons, right? But you got to understand this. The word person uh, it wasn't primarily, when it was created, intended to describe humans. Now, that, that's what we do now. We're like, oh, there's, there's a person, there's a person, there's a person, there's a person. We're using it to describe humans. I don't think we look at, like, pigs and be like, there's a person, Cow, there's a person. We do it about humans, right? But originally, this, this language for person was created to describe the Trinity. And only later have we come to use it to describe humans. No, I think it's actually really appropriate we use that language to describe humans because it helps us to understand we are created in the image of God. And so we are persons in a sense that is a reflection of who God is. But person doesn't mean that God is human or that God is flesh because God is spirit. It's only when Jesus became flesh that God became flesh. So God is spirit. So don't think a person like there's three people sitting around somewhere, but it's three there's really no better. I was going to try to say there's three individuals, but that's not even right because God is, is so tightly connected. It's just three persons. That's the best language to describe it. It's kind of like you start to describe something and you get further away from the truth. You're trying to tell someone how you feel and you just feel angry and you're like, well, I feel melancholy and nostalgic. No, you just, you're just angry. Sometimes like you just got to say what it is. The, only, the best way to describe God is he is one God in three persons. Now, it used to bother me that this wasn't ever clearly laid out in Scripture. Because I'm going to be honest, definitely you see the Trinity in Scripture. We're going to walk through that today. But there's no place where Paul writing is just like, let's talk about the Trinity for a couple chapters. He doesn't do it. 
And that used to bother me when I was a younger Christian because I thought, if this is who God really is, this is who God is at his core, and that's what the Bible teaches, why didn't Paul just talk about it for a bunch of chapters? Or why wasn't Jesus like, okay, I taught you guys about not committing murder and not committing adultery. Let me talk now about the Trinity. But we never get that, and here's, and here's why. Because the Trinity is not primarily a doctrine to believe. It's a spiritual reality to experience. Because often what we want to do is we want to take God and, and put him down in a little box. And we're going to do that today. One God, three persons. That's a little bit of a box that describes God. We're not limiting him. We're trying to describe him. But the truth is that God is a reality to be experienced, not just something to sit back and think about. Not just something to say, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. It's a reality to experience. So for the early church, as they were writing about who God was, they were just dealing with this reality that, okay, we know God the Father exists, but we see Jesus and he's God too. And we know the Holy Spirit's God too. And we're not really going to try to explain it all that much other than to say, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's, that's all they were trying to do because that's what they had experienced. If you got your Bibles today, go to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. So be ready if you grew up doing sword drills in youth group. For those of you Baptists who are here, you used to do that. So get ready because we're going to be flipping today. Um, if you look up your concordance or look up something, you know, index to tell you where to go if, if you weren't a Baptist. Okay, here we go. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is what it says. Jesus goes out to be baptized by his cousin John, and it says he, he was, took down to be baptized. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says... As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Can somebody say amen? amen. Drowning, Jesus, if he had drowned, that would have been bad. He came up out of the water. Sometimes the small details are the most important. Jesus came up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so this, this goes to the whole point of the early church and the, the, the followers of Jesus at the very beginning weren't trying to explain how this was. They were just describing that this was the reality. They see Jesus getting baptized. And Jesus would have had to tell them this because it says Jesus saw the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, which means Jesus is the one who saw it, and then Jesus told them about this. So this is coming from Jesus. And it said that Jesus saw the Holy Spirit coming down. So Jesus is there. He gets baptized, comes up out of the water. Holy Spirit comes down, right? Distinct person from Jesus comes down on him. And then another distinct voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So you have right here, not a doctrine of the Trinity, but the reality of the Trinity. Some of us today need to take seriously the reality of the Trinity. You've been living a life below what God wants for you because you have viewed God as less than what he is. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a reality to be experienced. Now, this, this is, there's this, as we're reading through the New Testament, it gets a little confusing sometimes because sometimes, we're going to read one of these passages later, the authors refer to the Father as God and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so it's a little confusing sometimes because sometimes they refer to the Father as God and sometimes to Jesus as God and sometimes to the Holy Spirit as God. And that's because all three are God. But uh, this is, this, the reason this happens is because you go all the way back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. You can flip there or not. And, and this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
And what the Jews believed, and this was different than what everybody believed around them, because Judaism is the first monotheistic religion, the first religion to have one God. And Christianity came from Judaism because Jesus was a Jew. And it just they had established that there is one God. There is one God. We don't worship a whole pantheon of gods. We're not worshiping Thor and Loki. We watch movies about them, but we don't worship them. Right? We don't, we don't worship uh, Zeus and Hades. We, we, don't, we just worship one God. And that was established, and that's good. So what, what happens when Jesus comes along and he's God as well? And that's what they were wrestling with. I remember I was, I was a youth pastor up in Lexington, Kentucky one time, and, and I, I had this guy, and this happens in youth ministry. If you ever be a youth pastor, just know. I had a guy playing basketball, and he got a concussion. And you wonder, how can a guy playing basketball get a concussion? That's because you haven't met middle school boys. All right, so they were playing basketball. I think one dude just absolutely went for the block, and, but he wasn't trying to block the ball. He was trying to block this guy's face into a pole. And so he did it. He was successful, mission accomplished. And so this guy takes a pole to the face. Some of us have done this. And so, of course, as the well-trained 22-year-old youth pastor... I have to take him to the hospital because I'm, you know, I'm qualified to provide emergency medical care. So I drive him to the hospital, emergency room. Got to go pick up his mom who comes up there. I have to explain to her, well, there was a pole, his face, boom, collided. She understood. He was kind of a dumb kid. So she got it. <laughs> this wasn't the first time she had been picked up and taken to an emergency room before. And so we're sitting there talking, and I know she's not a Christian. This, this kid is from a really rough background. He was involved in our youth group, but he wasn't really a Christian himself, and his mom definitely wasn't. So I'm trying to use this as a chance. It's always good when you can use a pole to the face as a chance to minister for the gospel. Just put that one in your back pocket. If you ever want to minister to someone, pole face. You can just talk to him a lot after that. Okay, it's really good. There we go, right here. Somebody needs to meet Jesus. We can do that right now. So pole to the face. So I'm talking with her, and I'm describing stuff, and then I bring up Jesus. And she's like, oh yeah, Jesus. I you know, obviously know some about him. He was a great teacher. I said, yeah, he was a great teacher, but he was also God. And she said, wait, I thought God was in heaven. I said, yeah, no, no, that's, that's true. Like God's in heaven, but Jesus was also God. She says, you guys have two gods? I was like, no, 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 no. We, we have one God, but like Jesus was God and the Father's God. We also believe the Holy Spirit's God. She said, so three gods. I said, no, 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 one God. And I realized I'm in seminary right now. I'm studying this stuff. I'm reading like ancient manuscripts, like creaky, cracky ancient manuscripts about the Trinity. And I suddenly look at her and realize, I don't think I can explain the Trinity to her. I'm like, no, there's, there's not like three gods. There's one God, but three persons, right? That's what we learned. One God, three persons. And she, she's just not understanding it. And I realized how confusing God is. You know, if I were designing God, it would just be really simple. God would be sitting on the throne doing his thing. But unfortunately for me in that moment as a dumb seminarian youth pastor slash nurse slash going to throw this kid in a pole again sometime, as, as that, I had a hard time describing it. I had a hard time communicating it because here's the reality. God is bigger than our categories. God's bigger than the, the simplistic categories we have God's bigger than, than our desires to make it really simple. If you want a simplistic God, worship yourself. Like, look in the mirror and worship yourself. You want something simple and easy and uncomplicated and ignorant, worship yourself. If you want to know the creator of the universe, you have to buckle up for some stuff you don't understand, some stuff you can't communicate when you feel like you should be able to. God is Father, God is Son, God's Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. I want to walk through really quickly the, the biblical support for this. So no one anywhere who believes in God would argue that the Father is not God. Jesus talked about praying to our heavenly Father. It's very clear. If you believe in some sort of God, then God is Father, we, we understand that. But let's go beyond this. Where do we see that Jesus is God? 
John chapter 1, verse 1 is the clearest place we see. John is writing about Jesus, and he calls Jesus the Word. And he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay, so sounds like God and the Word are distinct. He said the Word was with God. Then he says, And the Word was God. And so right now, John's just the follower of Jesus writing about what he knows. He's saying there's distinction, but there's connection. There's distinction, but they are one. The word was with God, but the word was God. Another place you see this in John as well, you go to John chapter 20, verse 28. Remember Doubting Thomas, the one who wouldn't believe in Jesus till he put his fingers in the nail holes? which is so not okay in the era of COVID. Like, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Did you use some Germex on those hands first, buddy? And so he wants to do it. So he gets to do it. And when he does this, he sees Jesus risen from the dead in the flesh. He, he worships Jesus and he says this, my Lord and my God. So he worships the resurrected Jesus as God. Another place you see this so clearly is Romans chapter 9, verse 5. And there's tons of other places. I'm going to give you three today. Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus is talking about the Jewish, or not Jesus, Paul's talking about the Jewish people. And he says, theirs are the patriarchs. That would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. And the Messiah is Jesus. Messiah is the Hebrew word, which means anointed one. So he says, they have the patriarchs, the Messiah, the anointed one comes from them, and that's Jesus. And then he says, the Messiah who is God over all forever. Amen. So he, he connects Jesus, the Messiah, very human, 100% human, and says he is also 100% God. So you see this throughout the Bible. Something else you see constantly is divine attributes and divine actions that are attributed to Jesus. In Colossians 1, for instance, it says that uh, in him all things were created. In other words, all of creation took place through Jesus. So you see this as well, but these are three very clear examples where it says Jesus is God. So the early church is like, okay, so we know the Father's God, and we know Jesus is God. What about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, same thing as Jesus. There's a lot of attributes and there's a lot of actions that are attributed to the Holy Spirit that are divine. But there's also some clear places where it says the Holy Spirit's God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, you have this, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who come and they try to act like they're giving all their money to the church and they only give a little bit of it, which is not a problem. The problem is they lied about it. So you can just give part of your money. I mean, if you want to give all your money to the church, that's great. But if you want to give part of it, that's fine as well. But uh, with them, they acted like they gave it all when they gave part. And this is what happens. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have, listen to this, lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for your land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Now, he said you've already lied to the Holy Spirit, right? This is what he says next. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Here's another place, 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So God, the Lord, Spirit, one and the same. And yet we know, we see very clearly, especially in the baptism of Jesus, three distinct persons. And some of you are like, okay, we get it. One God, three persons, we've established this. But one of the challenges with this is that often we believe and we think about God wrongly. 
In fact, throughout the history of the church, there were a lot of heresies. What's a heresy? It's believing, it's a theological untruth. It's a theological falsehood that you believe. And there are three big falsehoods that people have believed about the Trinity. I'm gonna run through these fast. Some of you are gonna love this, you're gonna be taking notes, some of you are gonna just fall asleep. I'm gonna give them to you really fast here. The first one is called modalism. And this is that there is one God, and not three persons, just one God who kind of appears as three different persons. Now, this one's funny to me. Like, think about it for a second. If it's one God who appears as the Father, who appears as the Son, and appears as the Spirit, but isn't really three distinct persons, that, mean, that means when, when Jesus is getting baptized, and he comes up from the water, he's, he's also, like, conjuring up a dove to come down because he's not three distinct persons. And he's also a ventriloquist because he's throwing his voice up to heaven and being like, yo, I love you myself. I love you a whole lot. And that's, if you're a modalist, that's what you believe. And that just kind of stretches, that just stretches the text a lot. Or Jesus is on the cross crying out in agony to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're a modalist, you're like, Jesus is calling to himself like, yo, self, why are you forsaking me? That, that's not what the Bible teaches. And so modalists, I just get it wrong. Uh, there, are, there are quite a few Christians today, not many, or people who claim Christ, uh, but they're not, they don't believe correctly about God, and they believe this. In fact, I think a lot of us, without trying to, have probably believed this. You're like, hey, God, like, right now I'm going through a tough time. Can you show up as Jesus for me today? Like, I like the Jesus, that loving Jesus person. Or sometimes you're like, man, that's a problem too big for me. Can I get, like, the, the Father God showing up this time? Or maybe, like, I just need a little comfort inside of me. Can I get the Holy Spirit God showing up? Uh, and we don't, we don't treat God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as three distinct persons. We treat them as one God with three masks he's putting on. That's modalism. Here's the second. The second thing is, and probably most of us don't believe this, but a few might, tritheism. You actually believe that not only is, are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit distinct, but they're actually separate. So you almost believe in three different gods. And we can't believe that. This is what Islam, this is what the prophet Muhammad accuses Christianity of believing. What is interesting, he thinks that our trinity is actually Father, Son, and Mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus which is really interesting. He had some uh, bad informants on what, who told him that. So I'm just going to say that. He, yeah, anyway, so somebody, somebody or some being shared wrong with him about what Christians believe. But tritheism is a dangerous thing as well. And I think this can really happen when you start to overemphasize one of the persons of the Trinity. You start treating that person as separate from the others. I think this can happen especially in certain movements with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit becomes more of a focus than Jesus, and the Holy Spirit becomes what you want, and the Holy Spirit's where the real power is, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus is kind of a separate thing, and the Father's a separate thing. That's, that's a danger. Here's the third heresy. It's called Arianism. Wouldn't you love it if you had a heresy named after you? It was named after a dude named Arius. And this is, this is the, the heresy that he taught. He taught that Jesus was not God. I think a lot of people in our culture believe this. I think a lot of people who claim to be Christians believe this. We want Jesus as our teacher. We want him as our savior. We don't necessarily want him as our God. And, and what he taught is that Jesus is not fully human. He's not God. He's a third type of being. He's created, but he's not human. And that's heresy. We've got to throw that out. What do we come back to? We come back to this really simple understanding of a very complex thing that God is one in three persons. God is one in three persons. Now, it's okay as a Christian to say that's strange, that's weird. Like, it's okay to say that. I think it's weird. I think when I was trying to explain to that lady whose kid, you know, his head hit the pole, I was trying to explain it to her, I had a hard time because it's a weird thing. But you ever realize how weird the world is? 
I was sitting in my, in my discipleship group yesterday with some really deep spiritual men, and we began talking about the platypus. Because we have, we have spiritual conversation. Like when we're getting together, don't laugh, when we get together as men around the word of God, we start talking about platypi, right? Not just one, but multiple platypi. So we're talking about it. Now, the platypi, the platypus is amazing. It's absolutely awesome. Like, first of all, it's a mammal that lays eggs. Very cool. It uses electrolocation to, to find out where stuff is around it. It sends out little electrical signals. Doesn't that sound fake right now? You're like, no, it doesn't. Wikipedia, I did it yesterday to confirm what those guys were saying. <laughs> it's got the whole duck bill. It's like a beaver that's a duck. In fact, in 1799, when they brought back the first one of these from Australia to England, the, the guys, the scientists studying it, thought that someone had just pieced together a lot of different animals to make it. They didn't believe it. Like, the platypus is weird. Narwhal is weird, too. Like, the narwhal, like, the whole, like, he's got a little pointy thing out his nose, but he's a whale kind of thing. That's not real, is it? Like, it's in, it's in Elf the movie. Is that really real? Like, well, I guess the point I'm getting at here is the world is weird, right? I mean, the other thing that's weird, this is just me going off right now for a second, but, but the Northern Lights, Aurora Borealis, you guys ever see pictures of that? It's like, oh, yeah, it's cool. There's just, like, lights dancing across the sky. Now, you can explain that scientifically, but, man, if I'm living 2,000 years ago, I'm like, nah, that's, that's, that's Loki or somebody going through this. Like, that's what I'd be believing what they were believing back then because the world is weird. Okay, why do we expect the physical world to be weird and not be okay with our God being a little weird? Why are we okay with just some crazy stuff happening in this world when it comes to God? We're like, God, can you just, can the math work out, please, God? Here's one of the problems. In fact, all these heresies come because we are primarily physical beings as humans, at least how we experience reality. And most of us are primarily visual in how we experience reality. And so I know that if I bring Pastor Cody up on stage, we cannot exist in the same space together and still be distinct. Either something weird's going on and we've been pushed together somehow, then we're just crumpled up and we're one, but there's no way to be distinct at the same time. You can't put like red and yellow together and have them both be visible and both be distinct. You just can't do it. They become orange, or one's covering up the other. Now, part of the problem is because we are primarily physical. Is this on? We got this on here, Juice. I play piano a little bit. Y'all hear that? Is that coming through? You want know, just a little Chopin? Sounds good, doesn't it? Man, I wish I wish I knew some songs he has actually knew. The only pop song I know is is uh, this. You guys know when I went to high school now. Like that was the song I loved, man. <laughs> little little Coldplay. Now here's here's the interesting thing about about music. It, it, it's not primarily physical. I mean, it is like the sound waves are coming through, but but it also can be distinct from simply what we visually experience. So, for instance, if I play this chord, who's are you, are you feeling happy or sad today? Happy, let's play a very happy chord. I'm going smile now. That's a C major right there. We're feeling happy. If you play uh, that, that's going to fill up the total space of what you're listening to. In fact, one note will. That's a C note. That just, that fills up, like, what you're hearing, it fills up the whole space. What's really cool about this is a chord is not just one note. You guys, those of you who, in fact, I know we have composers here today. Uh, a chord, typically, your bass chord is three notes. So it'd be like a C an E, and a G. Now, most of us, some of us aren't very good at, at listening to music, but most of us can hear three distinct notes in that. Now, what they're doing is they're occupying the same aural space, the same heard space as a single note. But together, you can hear them. 
distinct notes coming together to form something greater than one by itself. Now, this is an analogy for the Trinity. Here's the danger about analogies for the Trinity. God is not musical notes, okay? Like, so you can't be like, oh, like Jesus today, be a C note for me. That's not how it works. And this actually breaks down a little bit. But what is helpful in pointing us towards is how sometimes even in what we've experienced, you can have something that is both one and three accord like that. And so God in his bigness, in his excellence, in his honor, in his glory, in his uncreatedness is both one and three. This is a big thought. Now, I want to wrap up this thought by talking about why in the world this matters for you. Because it's one thing to be like, okay, so God's three and one, and then go out and live your life in the exact same way. Why does it matter for us? How is our faith different than a simply monotheistic faith that doesn't understand that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit? Uh, A.W. Tozer is a theologian and pastor, and this is, this is what he has to say about it. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. We say that again. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So whatever we view God as, whatever we believe God is, whoever we interact with him as, is what we start to become like. Now this is why it's so important to view God as Father, Son, and Spirit, one being three persons. Let me tell you why. A triune God, at his very core, is self-giving love. Now, this this is key. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is inherently within himself relational. God, apart from anything else, because you can only love something outside of yourself, right? For all of us, I can't just love, I I love something outside of myself. And God, in his three-in-oneness, loves within himself. This is a profound thought. In fact, if you want to just chew on something this week, chew on that. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father, and they all love each other. And so you are made in the image of God. This is why you sit around on Friday nights feeling lonely, feeling isolated. This is why you need relationships. It's not just that relationships make your life better. You have to have them. Why? Because you are made in the image of a three-in-one God who is inherently within himself relational love. This makes so much sense of the world around us. We're not just individual beings out on our own. We were created in the image of a God who welcomes us into relationship with himself. Do you realize that's what's happening in salvation? Jesus isn't just saving you from your sins. He is welcoming you into a relationship with self-giving love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This should transform how we view God. God within himself is love, and we are welcomed into that. And that's what we need to understand is God is not just within himself self-giving love, but God is purposeful love. The only way we know that God is three in one at his very core is because he sent his son, Jesus, to us. And without Jesus coming, we would still have this understanding of God is one, but we wouldn't understand that God is three in one. But in coming to us and showing purposeful love, we're able to experience. Experience God's three in oneness. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord's God through your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two, two most important commandments. Do those things. But do you realize that that commandment is an expression of God's very character? It's not just do this because you need to love. It's love people because God loves God and God loves others. 
The very foundation for what we believe and what we do is found in the fact that God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. My favorite passage, and I'm wrapping up with this, my favorite passage where it talks about Father, Son, and Spirit all tied together is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. The author of Hebrews is talking about how used to we gave animal sacrifices to God to get an external cleansing of our sin. But this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? God is three in one at his very core. But the only reason we know that is because he has expressed his three in oneness to us. Jesus gave himself through the Spirit as a sacrifice to God so that you and I could be welcomed into God's community of three in one. That's who God is. That should change how we live our lives. You were made to be in relationship with God and with other people, in a relationship of love with God and with other people. So as we continue to talk about God in this series, don't lose sight of the God we're talking about at his very core as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons.